and your Boston Red Sox have advanced to the American League Championship Series for the first time since 2018, baby. We're back. We're back in, it's not big old dance. You know, it's not prom. It's like semi-formal, right? Eh, maybe like homecoming. I, I'd say the divisional maybe like, maybe like homecoming, you know, like semi-formal. And then the ALCS is like homecoming. And then prom would be the World Series. So we're going to homecoming. We're in a big dance. Let's go. Did you lose years on your life because of the stress that the Red Sox brought upon you? The last two games of this series, they didn't win just one of them, you know, single-handedly so easily where it's like, all right, let's just get this game over with. No, both games were nail biters to the very end. Both. Unfreaking believable. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on game three because that is the the older of the two games. You know, the more recent game was last night, game four, where the Red Sox do clinch a six to five victory, winning the series three to one over the Tampa Bay. Almost said Buccaneers. Jesus. Tampa Bay Rays. But I do obviously want to touch upon game three just a little bit, of course. We will be chatting and discussing game four, breaking that down in the pivotal clincher for the Boston Red Sox there at Fenway Park. And as you all already know, the Patriots seemingly what felt like a loss, but they were able to pull out a squeaky 25-22 win over the Houston Texans. Obviously, we're going to talk about that and how the passing game looked, how the running game looked, the defense looked. And then we're going to take a look ahead at the Patriots' schedule as they do face the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Jets, and the Los Angeles Chargers to wrap up the month of October. We'll discuss a couple of those games later on in today's episode. And then, of course, as always, we predicted the scores on Friday, and today we're going to break them down, see if I was right, see if I was wrong. Good thing about today, recording on Tuesday due to the holiday yesterday, is Monday Night Football was able to be completed, so therefore we can kind of reflect on that game as well. But yes, thank you guys so much for joining me on today's episode. Today's episode number 95 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. Today is Tuesday. October 12th, 2021. It is a different episode today and not in terms of it not being like scheduled different, but just because today's Tuesday and obviously we record on Monday and Fridays, but yesterday was Christopher Columbus Day and the shop was closed. I didn't have access to the studio or anything like that. I mean, I guess I technically could have, but do you guys blame me for taking the day off? Come on, you can't blame me for taking the day off, right? It was beautiful yesterday, and it's beautiful today. So get outside, play a little backyard football, a little bit of wiffle ball, shoot some hoops, have a nice bonfire, campfire, C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song. I'm in such a great mood, as you guys can tell. Honestly, yesterday, stressful across the board. But it was a great day overall. So I'm hope hopefully you had a fantastic weekend, a fantastic long weekend, and you're ready for a great, spectacular week ahead. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Weather-wise, we're supposed to be looking good, except Saturday. It's going to rain 40% chance, but it's going to be in the mid-70s all week. So weather like yesterday, weather like today, expect it throughout the entirety of the week. So with all of the pleasantries, all of the introductories out of the way, all of it out of the way, let's talk about game three really quickly. The pitching, unbelievable, right? I know Hansel Robles kind of had a rough inning or a rough outing when he went in, giving up two earned. I get it. Not, no bueno. And then Garrett Whitlock comes in to close the door. And then Nick Pavetta. MVP of that game, as well as Nathan Evaldi pitched, Nick Pavetta was the MVP of that game. Three hits, one walk, seven strikeouts over four innings. If it wasn't for him or someone pitching a killer performance like he did, we probably would have lost that game. There were countless times in the 11th, the 12th, I believe even the 13th inning where the Rays were threatening to score that run. Now, don't forget... In 2021, the extra inning runner 
is placed on second, is the last batter to get out the inning prior, they are automatically placed on second base to kind of help speed up the games. Well, now that we're in the postseason, that rule does not apply. So moving forward, it is regular baseball in extra innings. No extra inning runner. It's just you're up next, you go hit. Traditional style extra inning rules, which I love. I don't mind the extra inning runner on second base because games do tend to go a little long, and if it helps speeds it up, then okay, fine. I mean, I know there was like a 18-inning game earlier this year between Dodgers, Giants, between – I want to say Dodgers were one of those teams. I forget who. And that was with the, eight, uh, the extra inning runner too. But here now in the postseason, I'm glad that they have abolished it because pure baseball and extra innings in the playoffs – Playoffs, yeah, the playoffs, is just pure, pure electricity. And it was, oh, it was fantastic. So it was good to see just actual regular baseball in the extra innings for the playoffs, of course. But yes, going back to Nick Pavetta, unbelievable, unfreaking believable performance. Picked up the win and everything. Stud. That's all I'm going to say, stud. I mean, the lineup itself did fairly well. Six runs, 15 hits. Can't complain about that. Kike Hernandez was like eight for uh, eight, for eight, not in the game, but just over this past two games. He finished the day six for three, uh, three for six, excuse me. And I think I tweeted this out, but I don't think it actually got sent out. I think it was like, you know, oh, couldn't send, so we'll just put it in your drafts. But I think I eventually sent it out like last night. Was I wrong about Kike Hernandez? Now, I've said this all year long. That I don't want him being my leadoff hitter. And I don't think I do. I mean, not that Kyle Schwarber is any better, but I don't know. I think Kike Hernandez has been very up and down all year. He's been blazing hot. He's been blazing cold or freezing cold for that matter. But right now, trust me, right now he is on fire. I've said I don't mind him being the two hitter. You know, I don't mind him being towards the bottom of the lineup as kind of like a second leadoff hitter. But one... Sets the tone big time, and, you know, there's been countless times in the regular season where he hasn't done that. But this playoff run so far for the Red Sox, he's done that. He has done that and done that well. I love him at the two spot. Obviously, he hit the walk-off sack fly last night, but we'll get to that in a second because I do want to talk about Christian Vasquez's walk-off home run that he had two nights ago in Game 3. So Kevin Plawecki did originally get the start behind the plate for Nathan Ivaldi, which is Plawecki's kind of become his personal catcher, which is fine. I don't care. So Vasquez pinched hit at some point during the course of the night. And then obviously extra innings. Da, 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 da. Here comes Vasquez up in the bottom of the 13th. Smokes a ball. Smokes a ball. Two over the, well, it wasn't over the monster, but it was like the first row, second row of monster, I believe. I forget what it was. Renfro scores. Vasquez obviously scores with the home run. Sox win six to four. Unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. Like the Rays seemed like they were able to get a little bit of offense, get a couple runners on in extra innings, and it feels like the Red Sox really weren't able to do so. Excuse me, do so. Like, I can't recall, except the thirteenth inning when Renfro was on first base, where the Red Sox were really threatening in extra innings that game. I can't really recall, but listen, they got the win. That's all that matters. They were able to push the Rays on the brink of elimination at Fenway. That's why I said you have to steal one in Tampa Bay. Stealing one in Tampa Bay gives you home field advantage. Because in this five-game series, the Rays have home field three times. You have it only twice. You split the series 1-1 down in Tampa. Now you have two games at home, and they only have one game at home remaining in the series. So you winning game two in Tampa was so crucial. Because say you lost that, you come back Fenway 0-2, you win those two games. Now you got to go to Tampa where they have home field advantage, obviously, for the fifth and final game of the series. So home field advantage is super crucial in the playoffs in any sport, football, basketball, hockey, yes and no, but baseball, yes. However, Red Sox were able to squeeze one out, worked out for them because they were able to clinch it by winning both of their home games and sending the Rays packing. 
Obviously, I just want to take a quick pivot looking at the other American League Divisional Series, the Astros and the White Sox. Astros won their first two games at home. The White Sox won Game 3, not last night, but the night before. Last night's game got postponed due to weather, so they're playing today at 1.30. But if the White Sox are able to win that Game 4, then it's going back to Houston for Game 5. Obviously, if you're down 0-2, you, you want to get it to a Game 5, obviously. But if the White Sox were able to squeeze one out, in Houston, split home field advantage down in Houston. Then you come back, you got the next two on your home ballpark for, it, obviously, a potential elimination game if you're able to win game three instead of having to go back to Houston for game five in effort to eliminate the Astros. But that series, totally different topic. I don't want to talk really too much about it because I just want to focus on the Red Sox right now. Game four. Let's talk about game four. What a game. What a game. I watched this one start to finish. First pitch all the way to the last pitch. I was telling Kim after the Rays tied it, I was like, I'm not ready for another 13-inning marathon, but if I have to buckle up, I will. Because you guys know me in extra innings. I will sit there and watch an 18-inning marathon. If I'm invested, I will do it. I always say, you can ask him this, the Sox don't sleep. I don't sleep. Remember that 18-inning game in the World Series? Red Sox-Dodgers, Game 3, where Ivaldi was supposed to pitch Game 4, but he comes out and pitches 8 innings. Yeah, he got the loss. I watched first pitch all the way to the last pitch. Sox don't sleep, I don't sleep, baby. So let's break this game down. Fifth inning. I'm sorry, third inning. Duh. Third inning. I see five runs, so I think it's the fifth inning. Third inning. Sox score... Five huge runs. Absolutely huge, huge runs. Devers with the home run. Bogey with the base hit. Dougie with the opposite field wall ball double. J.D. Martinez with the wall ball single. Should have been on second base, but maybe that ankle is still a lingering lingering issue potentially. It's just the Red Sox were really able to capitalize there in that third inning by putting up a good crooked number. Give them a Five nothing lead in an elimination game. I, I you know listen. I know the Rays are a very good pitching staff. I know they're a very good hitting team. And did I feel comfortable with five runs? I did, but I I didn't think you know we should like hold up and be like all right five runs were good enough. You know Rays slowly get one in the fifth, two in the sixth. It's like oh shit we got ourselves a ball game now. And you you know after the Red Sox scored their five runs, they kept showing the Rays dugout and like they just. There was moments where it's like, ah, shit, this is it. But then once they got a little bit of momentum in the fifth inning, they were juiced up the rest of the game. You know, They got that one run in the fifth inning, and they were juiced up the rest of the way. Like I said, one in the fifth, two in the sixth, two in the eighth. When they tied it in the eighth inning, oh, my God, like all the momentum was gone. All the momentum was gone, and they still had a runner on second base with no outs. Ryan Brazier struggled. He struggled immensely in that in last night's game. Garrett Whitlock comes in, three outs. That runner on second doesn't even advance, doesn't score. Then he pitches a scoreless ninth inning. Chris Sale was warming up in the bullpen because he was going to come out for the save in this game. But the Red Sox weren't able to you know, maintain their lead or regain it in the bottom half of the eighth, in, eighth inning. Garrett Whitlock, like I said, shut out ninth inning. And then the Red Sox make it happen in the bottom of the ninth. I, let's see, I forget how it transpired. Oh, Vasquez got up, got a single, a leadoff single. Now, right then and there, I know Jaron Duran's not on the ALDS roster, but Danny Santana is. And Santana has immense speed. I honestly thought that Danny Santana would have pinch ran for Vasquez right when he got on first base. Because Danny Santana will give you a better chance to not get into a double play because he's quicker. Danny Santana, if there's a ball in the gap, he'll be able to score. It's just I, down the line, I feel like he'll be able to score a lot better because Vasquez isn't fast. But then again, if you take Vasquez out and, you know, Danny Santana, I mean, say Christian Arroyo grounds down to a double play, Schwarber doesn't do anything. Actually, no, it wouldn't Bobby Dahlbeck at that point because Dahlbeck went in defensively for Schwarber. Now you just wasted yourself your runner and a catcher. 
So then you have to put Plawecki in, and now you don't have any more speed coming off the bench. I get it. Okay, fine. I get it. But then Arroyo, perfect bunt, by the way, perfectly executed sacrifice bunt. You know, high pitch, doesn't elevate the bat, just lets the ball hit the bat and drops it down perfectly. Santana gets the second, no problem. Perfect sacrifice bunt. Oh, I'm sorry, not Santana. Vasquez gets to second base, no problem. And then I was like, all right, well, let's put, you know, let's put Danny Santana in on second base for Vasquez. Ball up the middle, ball in the outfield. Danny Santana gives you a great chance to score. Still doesn't do it. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So Bobby Dahlbeck was supposed to come up to hit, but with the righty pitcher, Cora goes to Travis Shaw, the left-hander. And Travis Shaw's up there, great at-bat, by the way. He um, it was 0-2, and then he works it to like a 2-2 count, I believe. I don't think he was ever going to walk. I don't think it was a 3-2 count. But he does like this swinging little bunt down the third base line. And Vasquez reads it perfectly, by the way. He takes a, a few steps towards third, watches the third baseman field it and throw it over. And then once that throw is over, he takes off a third. Excellent base running, by the way. And then the third baseman, was it, Yandy Diaz, throws it in the dirt, and G-Man Choi's not able to dig it out, and Travis Shaw is safe at first. Now, they called it a hit, which I feel like it should have been an error, in my opinion. It should have been a bad throw on Diaz's part. So that's why I was very confused that they gave him a hit. But you know what? Looks good in the stat sheet, so I'm not going to really complain. Sorry, I'm putting on chapstick. Got to have my lips stay uh, moist, you know? I can't have them chapped and dry. So we have first and third. One out. Now Danny Santana goes into pinch run for Christian Vasquez. I still would have had him at second base, personally. I you know I understand not having him at first base now. Still at second base, I probably would have done. Because like I said, Travis Shaw hits one up the middle. Or just anywhere in the outfield. Danny Santana gives you that chance to score the winning run. Vasquez, not really. So now we have Danny Santana coming in for Christian Vasquez. Kike Hernandez is up. Hottest hitter in the planet right now. All you need, all you need, is to put the ball anywhere in the outfield. Fly ball, line drive, base hit, wall ball double, doesn't matter. I don't. Was it the first pitch? No, I don't think it was the first pitch. No, because first pitch, Kike swung for a home run, he missed, and then I think he worked a little bit of an at bat, and then he was able to just launch it to left field. Yep. Cameraman made it look like it was heading to New Hampshire, to be all to be honest. Anyways, fly ball, left field. Kike Hernandez probably goes like a quarter of the way down the first baseline because he knows it's a it's a out, so there's no way no reason to go to first. Ball's caught, Austin Meadows throws it, Dan Santana comes running home, throws offline, Red Sox win, they advance. What a beautiful, beautiful game. Oh, by the way, reach out to me. Social media, at Merv's Cartown, or down in the comment section below if you're watching this on YouTube. What did you think of the game last night, if you watched it? You know what? You could just hear me break the game down, and now you have some thoughts and opinions about it. I want to hear about it, because last night's game was an emotional roller coaster, because the Red Sox go up 5 nothing, Rays crawl back a little bit, Sox are in position to get a few other runs throughout the course of the night, doesn't happen. Rays tie it, socks walk it off. Emotional roller coaster. So let me know your thoughts and opinions. Like I said, reach out to me on social media at Merce Cartown or down in the comment section below if you're listening on YouTube. Your thoughts about this game. So Red Sox win 6-5. They do advance to the American League Championship Series. They will be on the road either playing the Houston Astros or the Chicago White Sox. That series is in game four, currently with the Astros winning. Or leading the series, I should say. Two games to one. Game four is in the south side of Chicago. First pitch, I believe, at 1.30 because it's a makeup game. So today's supposed to be the travel day for both teams going back to Houston. And game five is supposed to be tomorrow. Well, game five is still tomorrow, I believe. But with the rain out last night, game four is today. 1.30, like I said. Hopefully, I can t tune into it at the shop. We'll have to wait and see. But listen, who do I want to play? Well, I'd rather play the White Sox, to be honest, just because, A, different opponent. Astros been in it 
so many times. I'm sick of the Astros. They cheated. And you know what? If the White Sox do beat the Red Sox, at least I got some socks to root for, right? I got no bad blood with the White Sox. I got no hate for them. I think it's stupid that they have red in their lo- um in their like team colors. It's like black, white, and red. Like you'll see players wearing red gloves or red armbands and stuff like that. Red sleeves. It's like like I understand you used to have red like back in like the seventies and the eighties. Like I get that. But it just looks like you're part of the Red Sox. So can we just like drop the red, please? But that's the only that's the only beef I have with the White Sox is that they low key try to copy us. But I think either way, whether it's the Astros or the White Sox, it's going to be a good series. I don't want to sit here and give you my prediction like, oh, Red Sox in this, or oh, White Sox or Astros in that, because I don't know who the Sox are going to be playing. You know, if they do play the White Sox, I could have a different opinion than if they play the Astros. Like I said. I originally thought that the Rays were going to win this series, in all honesty. And I think a lot of people had the Rays winning this series, and even in the World Series. I would probably go on a limb and say a lot of people had the Rays winning the World Series. One thing about playoff baseball is literally anything can happen. Look at the Red Sox, a wild card team. Now they're in the American League Championship Series. Red Sox were on pace for 100 wins. They made a lack of moves at the deadline, but it's looking like it's panning out now. If you look at it in hindsight, Kyle Schwarber, electric. Hansel Robles, I know he had a rough outing game three, but he's been fairly well. Austin Davies, I'm not too sold on. But at that time, they were a lack of moves, but now they're kind of panning out for us. So it's like, damn. Damn, were we wrong? I think a lot of Sox fans were wrong, myself included. Listen, I know I'm not always right. I will always admit if I'm wrong. As of now, I was wrong. And I think, you know, even if Schwarber goes 0 for 10 and Hansel Robles gives up 10 runs, I'm still going to say that I was wrong about my take about Bloom and the moves he made at the deadline. Because at this point in the season, the Red Sox have, I don't want to say achieved their goals because their, their goal is to win the World Series, obviously. But... They overachieved in a way that they've gotten further than anyone's expected, right? Like I said, on pace for a 100-win team, World Series favorite at one point or World Series contender at one point earlier in the season. Then they fall off a cliff. They're in and out of the wild card picture. They're out of the wild card picture. They're back in it. You know, they're the two seed. They're, the, they're, you know, first team out. They're the one seed, the two seed for the wild card. And then they get the one seed in the wild card because the Yankees couldn't figure it out. They win the wild card. Then they beat the best team in the American League in the Rays. So I would say as of now, if the season was to end right now, the Red Sox have overachieved from the public's point of view. From my point of view, from your point of view, from the Red Sox point of view, the team has not overachieved because their goal is to win the World Series. See what I'm saying? So... If the season was to end right now, I would be proud of this team. Obviously, I don't want it to end right now. But if the season was to end right now, I would be proud of this team for all the the adversity that they had to come, the struggles, the battles of the long 162-game season, all the highs, all the lows. But listen, they're in the American League Championship Series now. We don't know who we're going to face until as early as later today. It might have to be until tomorrow. We don't know. We'll just have to sit back and wait, and we'll talk all about it on Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk for sure. But that is going to be it for my Red Sox minute. It's been like 20 or so minutes, whatever. You get the point. Super excited that the Red Sox were able to advance and move on to the American League Championship Series. Like I said, where they will either go to Houston to play the Houston Astros or they will go to Chicago to play the Chicago White Sox. For the American League Championship Series, the Red Sox are the first team in the Final Four for Major League Baseball. Very exciting. Get a couple extra days off. Line up that pitching rotation, whether it's going to be Sale, Evaldi, Erod, or Evaldi, Sale, Erod. Just you have some time to figure it out because I don't think that series will start when we're Friday. Friday is day one or game one, I should say, day one. Game one is Friday, so you have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You have three days of rest. I guess if you want to count today, too. So four days of rest, right? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Nope, nope. Three days of rest to figure it out. Chris Sale didn't pitch last night. He did warm up. That's fine. I don't know the Red Sox plan for that game. 
I can't wait. I cannot wait. They're in. What did I call it? What did I call it? Home. No, I didn't call it homecoming. No, I called it homecoming. The Red Sox are not at the big dance. They're not at prom yet. But they're at homecoming. So let's do this, boys. Friday, we're going to talk a lot about Red Sox playoffs on who they're going to be playing because we'll know at that time, like I said, either the White Sox or the Astros. But let's transition to some football now. The Patriots. Felt like a loss. Feels like a loss still. I don't know how they were able to win that game. But they were able to do so. They pulled it out of their rear end, their keister. Don't know how, but they did. Patriots win 25-22 over the Houston Texans yesterday down in Houston. Mac Jones, 23 of 30 for 231 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Damian Harris, 14 carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown. Ramondre Stevenson, 11 carries, only 23 yards. And then Hunter Henry, 6 receptions, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Those are kind of the notables. Nick Folk went 4-for-4 four four with a 52-yard field goal as his long, where he racks in 13 total points on the day. Interesting game, let me tell you. Very interesting game. I'm not going to lie. I thought the Texans were going to win from the very like first quarter all the way to the end. I thought they were going to win. The Patriots buckled down, and they were able to come back. Now, I didn't get the luxury to watch the game. I was listening to the game, and it just sounds – it's like – I don't know. The offense was very slow, very stagnant, couldn't get a lot of anything going until later in the game. Defense sucked. The majority – except that fourth quarter, defense was terrible. And I remember Scott Zolak on the on the radio saying how like you know the offense is looking okay, the offense is looking fine, it's the defense that can't you know stop this Texans offense. Now if we go over to Texans, you know Chris Moore five reception, 109 yards and a touchdown. Mark Ingram 16 carries for 41 yards and Davis Mills 21 of 29 for 312 yards and three touchdowns. Sheesh, my goodness! Like I mean. You're not going to win any games if you're giving up 312 yard passing yards to the Texans and almost 400 total yards of offense to the same Texans team. Like you're not you're not going to win. You're not going to beat any team if you do that. I mean, it's so hard for me to break this game down because, like I said, I wasn't able to watch it. I was only able to listen to it. Jacoby Myers, four receptions, 56 yards. Aguilar, three for 32. John o. Smith, two for 27, but he did have a handoff as well. One carry, five yards. So I want. So what I wanted the Patriots to do in this game is I wanted their running game to get right, their defense to get right, or their defense to stay focused, right, and then to win the game. Okay, well, they won the game. So let's start there. Defense did not get right. They gave up 22 points, which at the end of the day, 22 points is not terrible, but it's who you gave up those points to, and that's the Texans, so that's kind of terrible. Fourth quarter, they were shut down. They were very good fourth quarter. I will give them that. And in the running game, 14 carries, 58 yards, 4.1 average. I don't, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't think that this offense or the running game fixed itself or got right. Now, I know you had four starting offensive linemen not play. I know that. So it's like, if they were healthy, could Harris had 22 carries for 100 yards? Maybe. Maybe. Stevenson, maybe 15 carries for 50 yards? Maybe. But, you know, looking at it, for what we have to work with, I don't think this running game was able to get right. Now, it was nice to see that the Patriots wanted to hand the ball off a lot of times. I mean, 25 carries between Harris and Stevenson. I like that. The attempt was there to run the ball. But in terms of rushing production against a soft Texans team, very lackluster, very disappointing in all honesty, especially when Damian Harris is supposed to be a bell cow running back. Yes, I know, like I said, the four offensive linemen were not playing. So you have to keep that into consideration. And I am. But still, though, it's the Texans. Still. So 
obviously I want to I want to jump into the Cowboys Patriots preview in just a second, but the Patriots need to get that running game fixed whether against the Cowboys and if they do or don't, it has to get fixed or figured out against the Jets when they play them the following week. But I do not want to jump ahead just yet. I do still want to stay on this Texans game. Just a few more uh, touching points. Another area that I do want to talk about is Brandon Bolden because Brandon Bolden has, kind of, I don't want to say he's turned into a fan favorite. He's a team favorite. He's a likable guy, great locker room guy. He's good in a pinch. I just don't know if he is a good third down back, pass catching back moving forward. That's not his play style. You know, Scott Zolak was even saying on the radio that he's not that kind of guy. You know, he had two carries to 25 yards, which looks awesome in the stat sheet. But again, in a pinch, you know, you need something, throw them off guard, gives you a little something different. You throw them in there. You know, on on receptions, on receiving at least, he had four receptions for six yards. That's not going to cut it for a third down back. You know, third and seven, full screen pass, a little Texas route or whatever, in, out route. I don't care what it is. It's not going to cut it. The Patriots need to get another running back in this room. I said this on Friday. I do not regret trading Sony Michelle. You can't look at it in hindsight because you had no idea James White was going to injure his hip before he's out of the season. You had no idea that that was going to happen. But now that it has happened, Damian Harris isn't, you know, a pass-catching running back. Ramondre Stevenson, you saw a little bit in the preseason, but I'm still not ready to go there. Taylor, seems like he can't get anything going. I mean, Bill just doesn't want to use him. Brandon Bolden, like I said, in a pinch. I mentioned this on Friday, and I'm going to mention it again. Bring in Todd Gurley. Just bring him in for a workout. Yes, I know the knee sucks. The knee is deteriorating, but he's only 27 years old. And when you do bring him in, or if you were to bring him in, I should say, he's not going to be a workhorse like he was with the Rams or with the Falcons. He's not going to be a three-down running back. He'll just be a third-down running back. You're not going to have to give him the ball or hand it off to him 25 times and expect 10 receptions as well. You would not have to need to do that with him. Like, just five carries maybe a game, five targets a game. He should be fairly cheap and inexpensive. He probably has some motivation for every team in the league passing on him. I think if he still has, you know, the ability and the skill set, the potential for him to really blossom here for a year is there, I believe, especially without James White. If the Pats still had James White, I wouldn't want him in here. It's just something to consider. It really is because are we really going to roll out Brandon Bolden there every time? He's a core special teamer. Use him in a pinch. I don't really like using him in a pinch, but he can be used in a pinch. Matthew Slater, he's a wide receiver by heart, but he is your core special teamer, the heart and soul of that special team unit. Been a captain for 10 years. You're not going to throw him out there, you know, if Bourne and Aguilar and Myers all get hurt. You might use him in a pinch. Might have him be like, hey, go on a seam route. You know, 50 yards, go. You might have him do that. We've seen that before in years past. But he's not going to go out there and run 20 routes a game looking for 10 targets a game because that's not his type of play. That's not his skill set. He is a core special teamer. Like when the Patriots had Nate Ebner, you know, he was a safety by trade. But he was a core special teamer. You never, never saw Nate Ebner drop him back into a cover three. You never saw him blitz the quarterback. He was a core special teamer. I think Bill Belichick needs to reevaluate the running back position. Listen, it doesn't even have to be Todd Gurley. It could be somebody else that's out and available. I'm just saying Todd Gurley because he's the biggest name out there that I know of right now that I can think of because Bell is scooped up. Devontae Freeman scooped up. Uh, yeah, I already said, yeah. So Todd Gurley is like probably the best name out there. Should be cheap. You won't have to grind him into the ground. I mean, if you want to bring in like a, I don't even know who's, like if you want to bring in a Frank Gore, or an, I just don't think that's going to do anything for you because you have Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevens who, who are similar. So that's what I'm saying, Todd Gurley. You know, he was MVP discussions just a couple seasons ago. Scored like 20 touchdowns. 
You don't need that same production from him, but still gives you a different element to your offense because right now you're very predictable. You're very one-dimensional. I don't like it. I don't like it. So there's some things that the Patriots need to work on in terms of the running game and, of course, with the running back room in general. In terms of the wide receivers or the receiving room, I should say, let's clump in the tight ends here. The receiving room, I like what I saw. I mean, 30 attempts, 23 completions, spread those completions out across one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys. I'll definitely take it. I want to see a little bit more from Nikhil Harry. I mean, he had like one reception last week, one reception this week. I'd like to see him get like, you know, seven, eight targets, maybe five receptions for, you know, 40 yards or whatever it may be. So I know he's still working his way back from injury, but I want to see more from Nikhil Harry for sure to see if it was the right move to keep him come the end of the preseason this year or if we should have traded him if an offer was on the table to do so. But overall, listen, the resiliency was there from the Patriots. They were down and out for a while, but they were able to crawl their way back and actually win this game. Similar to what the Red Sox, you know, the resiliency in game three and game four to just still go out, make the plays that you need to in order to win the game. So that is going to be it for the Patriots and Texans. Like I mentioned, the New England Patriots were able to knock off the Houston Texans 25-22 down in Houston, Texas. Not a comfortable win, not a reassuring win, but a win nonetheless. And the Patriots move to two and three. So you know what? I will freaking take it. Absolutely going to take this one and run. Patriots now move into second place in the division with the Dolphins losing. Obviously, the Jets were going to lose. We all knew that. So it's good to see that the that the Patriots were able to kind of separate themselves a little bit. Are they going to be in any wild card discussions right now? Let's just check AFC Wild. Let's just check. I doubt it. Um, come on. I just want the standings. Standings. Come on. There we go. All right, we are in. So the Patriots are currently on the outside looking in. The wild card teams are the Bengals at three and two, Broncos three and two, Vegas at three and two. The Browns are just also on the outside looking in at three and two as well. And then there are your New England Patriots and a handful of other teams at two and three. You gotta win games, boys. You gotta win some games because this AFC is looking really good this year. It really is. Chargers 4-1, Ravens 4-1, Bills 4-1, Titans 3-2, Bengals, Broncos, Raiders, Browns, all 3-2 like I mentioned. And then underperforming teams, Pats 2-3, Steelers 2-3, Kansas City 2-3. You're not out of the neck of the woods, and you might not be for a long time. And then just looking at the NFC real quick, yeah, they they got their handful of good teams as well. But, you know, we're not here to talk about that. Let's jump over to the football schedule from Sunday and, of course, Monday because we'll have the chance to talk about Monday Night Football. So, obviously, going into this weekend, we already knew that the Rams beat the Seahawks 26-17 on Thursday Night Football. I predicted that the Jets were going to win against the Falcons in London. That did not come to fruition as the Falcons win 27-20. Jets almost did come back, though. They still suck. Patriots beat the Texans 25-22, like I already mentioned. Lions lose on a last-second field goal again, this time to the Vikings, as the Lions lose 19-17 to the Skull Vikings in Minnesota. Eagles beat the Panthers 21-18 in a very good game down in Carolina. I thought the Panthers were going to kind of pull it out and kind of you know, make a statement like, hey, we're a legitimate team, but that was not the case. The New Orleans Saints beat the Washington football team 33-22. to WTF does have some problems. New Orleans Saints looking like they never lost Drew Brees, in all honesty. Titans beat the Jaguars 37-19. Big day for um, Derrick Henry. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. Derrick Henry, of course. Jaguars 0-5. What is going down? What is going on down there in Jacksonville? Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, is he a bust? Who knows? I'm telling you, once Trevor Lawrence gets that first win, 
his stock value for his cards are going to go through the roof. Because right now it is very, very low. Actually, I mean, still high being the first overall pick. But they got to figure it out down there. Buccaneers dismantled the Dolphins 45-17 in Tampa Bay, but it was not a far commute for the Dolphins at all. Packers beat the Bengals 25-22 in overtime. Let me talk about this game for a freaking second. So I watched this game because, like I said, I couldn't watch the Pats. I watched this game because I had that game, and I was listening to the Patriots. Watching this game, Packers looked like they had control of it. Bengals make it a game. Uh, like a 70-yard touchdown, borrowed to Chase with like 20 seconds left in the half, tie it up or two-point game or whatever it may be. And then here comes Mason. Okay, you know, game goes on, whatever. Here comes Mason Crosby with like two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Goes to kick the game, uh, go-ahead field goal, misses. Bengals march down the field, 57-yard field goal, go-ahead, but like 25 seconds left. He misses that. Here comes the Packers again. Here comes Mason Crosby, like a deep 40-yarder or whatever it may be. Mason Crosby, time expires, misses. Packers get the ball. No, who got the ball to start? I believe the... I honestly forget who got the ball to start. Uh, Whatever. Um, mm. Yeah, I think the Packers got the ball to start. They go down the field, go to kick the field goal to win. Mason Crosby misses. I shit you not. I'm shit you not. Here go the Bengals. No, oh yeah, because the Bengals started with the ball. Burrow threw an ugly interception to Zadarius Smith. Picks it off. And then, you know, Packers weren't able to get any offense. So they kicked the field goal. Miss it. Packers go down. uh, The Bengals go down the field. Bengals go to kick the field goal. Misses. Packers march back down the field. Go for the field goal again for the fourth time, a fourth potential game-winning field goal, and they finally hit it. Nuts. It was a wild, wild game. Go watch the highlights of that game. Packers-Bengals. Packers won 25-22 in overtime in Cincinnati. Go watch those highlights. Because that fourth quarter from like four minutes on into overtime, crazy crazy i said on friday that this is going to be a good game a sneaky good game and this is the game i'm going to look forward to thank thankfully i was able to watch the game and i'm so happy i did watch it because it was an absolute stellar game broncos lost to the pittsburgh steelers 27 19 in pittsburgh have the steelers figured it out i don't know juju smith schuster out for the rest of the year with a dislocated shoulder requiring surgery i believe Big loss for the Broncos, really not able to keep up with the Chargers and separate themselves from the Raiders and Chiefs. Speaking of the Raiders, they did lose 20-9 to Chicago in Las Vegas. Fields picking up his first win as a starting quarterback. Los Angeles Chargers, in a shootout, beat the Cleveland Browns 47-42. Absolute killer performance by both Justin Herbert and Baker Mayfield, but Herbert really able to stamp his name as potential MVP favorite here early in his uh, second second season. Who knows, but he's got those charges 4-1 right now, and they're feeling good in Los Angeles. Cowboys beat the Giants 44-20. Really nothing good to talk about. Kadarius Tony had a big day for the Giants, but that was just about it in terms of good news. Cowboys will be visiting the Patriots this week. Keep that in mind. That's a big game right there. 49ers lose to Arizona in Arizona as the Cardinals beat the 49ers 17-10. The Bills make a statement and win 38-20 over Kansas City at Arrowhead. Have the Bills replaced the Chiefs as the top dog in the AFC. This was a big prove-it game for the Bills, and they proved it. This was a big game for the Chiefs. Considering their two and two start, they're now two and three. What is going on down in Kansas City? Let me go over the Ravens game first, and then I'll talk about the Chiefs just in a second. Colts lose to the Ravens, thirty-one to twenty-five in overtime. For the longest time, it looked like the Colts were going to win this game. It was like twenty-five to nine at one point, I think it was, or twenty-two to nine at one point. And the Ravens storm all the way back to win this game in overtime. 
keeping me at zero strikes in survival because I picked the Ravens to win. And it keeps Kim out from, well, it keeps her from being out of her own survival league with work as she has one strike and there's only a two strike limit in her league because she also picked the Ravens. Apparently, I told her to pick the Ravens. I did not tell her to pick the Ravens because this week was a tough week to pick a team. I mean, the Jets, they had a little momentum from their first win, playing the Falcons, who really aren't that much better. They almost came back and won. Vikings barely beat the Lions. Uh, I'm trying to look for other dubs. I guess the Buccaneers over the Dolphins would have been an easy one, but I'm trying to save the uh, the Buccaneers for later in the season. I already picked the Titans, and I couldn't pick them again, even though they were playing the Jaguars. Broncos over the Steelers would have been a sneaky choice. Cowboys over the Giants was a good one, but I think I'd rather save the Cowboys for later in the season because I think they're legit. So it kind of left me with Ravens over the Colts because the Colts have you know been a huge disappointment this year. Carson Wentz throws for 400 yards. But you know what? They weren't able to pull it out. They weren't able to pull it out. So going back to the Chiefs real quick. Now, I'll be wrapping up the episode shortly, but I just do want to talk about this because I've mentioned this before. I forget when the Patrick Mahomes contract became official. Was it last year? I want to say it was last year after or two years ago after the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl that he signed that massive contract extension. I could be wrong. And I, if I am wrong, definitely let me know down in the comments section below here on YouTube or reach out to me, social media, at Murph's Car Town. Let me know if I'm right or wrong about this because, I, I mean, I guess I could just look it up real quick. Patrick Mahomes contract. When did he sign it? When did he sign it? Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. When did he sign it? Ah, here we go. July 7, 2020. Okay, so it was the offseason after they won the Super Bowl. Okay, fair enough. Well, in March of 2021, they restructure or something? Yeah, look at that. Okay, so here's my thing about that Patrick Mahomes contract and the way contracts are going for rookie deal quarterback so obviously when you draft a quarterback or draft any player you get a rookie deal and then after that rookie deal is up you actually gotta sign them rookie deals are fairly cheap then when they make the big money usually year five you got to pay them the big bucks that's why having a rookie quarterback is such a great thing because they're cheap especially if they're good you can invest that money that would be going to the quarterback elsewhere to your team to put your team in a better overall position to win so, like, for the Rams, for example, they had Jared Goff when they were in the Super Bowl on a rookie deal still. They were in, able to invest that money elsewhere into the team. When they had Ndamukong Sue, they had Michael Brockers, they had Dante Fowler. Like you, They were able to invest the money elsewhere. Brandon Cooks, um, Robert Woods, so on and so on. Todd Gurley, even at the time. But then you got to sign the quarterback to big money because that's quarterbacks demand big money these days. Rams signed Goff to big money, so they had to, you know, cut ties elsewhere in order to pay him. Patrick Mahomes signed this record 10-year, $500 million quarterback, whatever the hell it is. So just for face value, because they can structure the contract however the hell they want. Face value, that's $50, 50 million a year. That's $50 million on the salary cap. It's going to one player. The salary cap this year was like 181 and a half or something like that. Supposed to go up because of COVID, it didn't. But just call it 200 just to make things friggin' easier for us. Call it a $200 million salary cap because it will get to 200 next year or the year after. That is 25% of your team's spending allowance to one player. Now, one thing I hate in football is you can move money around so freaking easily it doesn't really matter what the salary cap is doesn't really what the money is because you could sign someone to a two-year contract for a hundred million dollars 50 million a year and then after that first year you could sign them to a one year you can sign them to another one-year extension and make that second year number 10 million dollars and just push 90 million of it or whatever that other 40 and then whatever you want to pay them again to that next third year that you just signed it's the dumbest friggin thing i hate it so much i just wish whatever you sign is the money. Anyways, I said when they signed that contract with Patrick Mahomes, they also uh, extended Kelsey too, I believe, like later. Obviously not nowhere near that money. That the Chiefs will hit a cliff. 
within a few years of that contract. I didn't expect it to be so soon. Because you cannot allocate so much money to one player, any one player, without taking money away from different areas of your team, whether it is your offensive line, which they scrambled to reshape this past offseason, whether it's your defensive line, your secondary, whatever it may be. You cannot give one player all that money, 25%, and expect your team to be a Super Bowl contender. Because you need to have rookie deals. You need to have cheap bargain veterans. You need to have, you know, obviously players that are on their rookie deal. So, you know, rookies, players on their rookie deal, deal still. Bargain veterans, players that just take hometown discounts. And you still need to be competitive all while this one guy's making $50 million. It does not work like that. You cannot buy yourself a championship in football. In baseball, you can. You can give everybody $50 million if you really want to in baseball. You just got to pay the luxury tax. I said when they signed Mahomes to that dumb record-setting contract that this will hurt them down the line. Because, oh, they signed Travis Kelsey and they signed Chris Jones to big contracts. And like I said, it's so freaking stupid that you can restructure and move money around because they already restructured Patrick Mahomes' deal. Uh, oh, that's not the right link. Ah, I need the right link. Nope, I don't care for that. Um, hold on. Give me a second. I'm trying to find it. Okay, so the contract was originally a 10-year, $450 million deal, but the contract could be worth up to $503 million, obviously depending on performance and stuff like that whatever so that's roughly 45 million dollars a year to one player i said 50 but 45 it's, it's it's the same thing at that point it's the exact same thing i'm playing with my cabinet it's look see you hear that it's me playing with my cabinet i'm not farting i promise but i oh god it just makes no sense with this thing please freaking load so it's like one year his salary cap hit is like 59 million dollars oh here we go Okay, so his cap hit this year is only $7 million because it's the final year of his rookie deal. Uh, and then it – no, this is the first year actually because all the money was moved around obviously to later years. So next year it's $35 million, 46, 44, 46, 42, 60, 45, 45, 50, uh, 50 and a half, $53 million in his last year. Those are the cap hits. Now it's not just a clean 10-year, uh, $450 divided by 10. It's not. And, you know – some of the money gets allocated to a signing bonus. Some of it gets allocated to a roster bonus. So, like, oh, my God, it's absolutely nuts. Like, the first handful of seasons, he's given $2 million as a quote-unquote signing bonus. So that takes $2 million off the cap hit later on. So when they go to restructure this damn contract again, because you know they will because they're going to have to play with the money, they're going to give him, like, a $30 million signing bonus. Therefore, it'll take $30 million off the cap hit. It's just so dumb how contracts in football can be allocated and tweaked and played with and this and that. Unless the guy's contract is up next year or at the end of this year, you should not be able to allow to restructure and play around with it. It is the dumbest friggin' thing in football, let me tell you. But I digress completely. All I'm saying is, is that massive contract for Patrick Mahomes going to bite the Chiefs in the ass sooner than I expected? Because I said in a couple years, we're into year two. So I guess a couple years, okay, maybe I guess, whatever. Because you cannot expect to put a winning team, a winning product on the field when a quarter of your spending allowance, your salary cap is allocated to one freaking guy. Oh, it's infuriating. So, okay, I'm done. I'm done digressing. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I do quickly want to talk about the Patriots and the Cowboys game coming up this week. So the Patriots host the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, what time is that game? What time is that game? 425 on Sunday. Going to be a big game. Probably going to be America's Game of the Week because they always put the Cowboys as Game of the Week because uh, they're quote-unquote America's team. And they're playing the Patriots and stuff like that. Oh, it's infuriating what they do with the Cowboys. I, I keep digressing. I will talk more about this Patriots-Cowboys matchup on Friday. But I do want to preface this one thing before I do go and wrap up today's episode. Cowboys are hot right now. They're 4-1. They lost an opener to uh, Tampa Bay, and they've won four straight. They look really good. Passing looks solid. Rushing, uh, running with Zeke and Tony Pollard looks really good. That offensive line is starting to come back together. Defense, better than expected. It's a mu- 
any game is a must-win game at this point. I mean, you go two and four, forget about it. But if you can beat this team and make a statement win at home, go to three and three. Still a tough battle to climb. You got the Jets the week after. Go to four and three. Then the Chargers. That's going to be a tough game in LA. You got to slow Dak Prescott down because he's feeling really good. He's feeling really confident. It's going to be a big game for the defense. Like I said, I'm going to talk more about it on Friday. It's going to be a big game for the defense because obviously, with no more Stephon Gilmore, we got to wait and see uh, Jalen Mills if he's going to be able to play on Sunday. They got Cooper, they got CeeDee Lamb. Cedric Wilson is now making a name for himself. I know Michael Gallup's usually on the team, but he's out for a bit. Dallas Schultz, the tight end. It's just like they got some weapons. Obviously, Zeke and Tony Pollard out of the backfield. You're going to have to prepare for a lot of threats on the Dallas offense. Dak can even you know run a little bit too. How are you going to be able to match that? How are you going to be able to match the Dallas offense and be able to execute your defensive game plan all while scoring points on the on your own offensive side of the ball. But that's all I'm going to talk about. Just a brief little snippet ahead of Friday's episode where I will be talking a ton of Cowboys versus Patriots for this Sunday's matchup. But ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls all over the world, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, episode number 95 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I really appreciate you downloading, listening, and enjoying as always. It's, it was a crazy episode today. Red Sox, Patriots, NFL. I digressed and talked about Patrick Mahomes going on a little mini rant right there. I do apologize. But you have to know how I feel about certain things. I mean, it's a podcast. It's my podcast. Obviously, I'm going to talk to you about my thoughts in sports. So, yes. So, yes. Big week coming up in, uh, in sports, really. Obviously, MLB playoffs are still going on, the divisional series. Thursday night. Who's Thursday? Who's playing Thursday? Um, oh, I'm just looking at the Patriots schedule. Uh, Thursday, we have the Buccaneers visiting Philadelphia. That's going to be an interesting game. Interesting game. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers right off the rip. But Eagles, that could be a big prove-it game for the Eagles, too, if they want to be uh, taken seriously. They're 2-3. and three. They could win that and go 3-3. Three and three. Drop the Bucks to 4-2. and two. That is a sneaky good game right there. Do not sleep on that game. Do not sleep on that game. But yeah, we'll talk about all the other Sunday matchups, obviously on Friday's episode number 96 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And I'm still thinking to myself, I'm still thinking to myself, what should I do for the 100th episode? I'm running out of time. I don't know what to do. I want to do something special. I want to do something neat, cool, fun. I don't know what to do. Hmm. Leave your thoughts, comments, suggestions, what I should do for episode number 100 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk down in the comments section below if you're listening on YouTube or reach out to me at Murph's Cartown if you're listening on audio-only platforms where you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere you can listen to your podcast. That is where you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And of course, if you're listening to this on YouTube, I greatly appreciate you liking the video. If you did enjoy today's episode, like I already mentioned, leave a comment down below. And if you're new to the channel or haven't considered subscribing yet, please make sure you hit that giant red subscribe button as I would greatly appreciate the love and support by subscribing to my channel. But ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, like I mentioned, that is going to do it for today's episode, episode number 95 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I will catch you on Friday for episode number 96, where we'll be talking about the Red Sox and their matchup against either the Houston Astros or the Chicago White Sox. We're going to talk more about Patriots and the Cowboys. We'll reflect a little bit on the Buccaneers and Eagles week six Thursday night football matchup. And of course, as always on every Friday, we will be diving into the scores or predicting the scores for each of the other Sunday matchups and, of course, the Monday game between the Bills and the Titans, which might be an interesting one. So we'll have to wait and see. But thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And I will catch you on Friday for episode number 96 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Like I said, like you know and love. But between now and then, have a fantastic week. Enjoy the weather. It's going to be gorgeous outside. Get outside. Enjoy the fall season because who knows how much longer that this nice weather will last. Because I'm telling you, we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be 25 degrees outside. And I'm going to be furious. So get outside. Enjoy the weather. 
as you can. But I'm going to catch you guys later. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And you know that I will always, 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 always. big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Stay big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big